Well, there were seven miracles recorded in the book of John. And John wrote this as a place of having an intimate relationship with the Lord. Now, who, who longs for that kind of intimacy? And you might, you might hear the word intimate, and some of you might be like, no, that, that seems kind of gross. But I, I would offer you that you don't understand what true intimacy is. See, true intimacy is not a sexual in nature at all. True intimacy is knowing someone deeply. And for me, and hopefully for you, you say, I want to know Jesus on a deeper level. And so that's who John was, but, but today we're going to focus on, on this miracle that occurs, and as I said, there's two miracles that, uh, that, that appear in chapter 6, but the one that we're going to focus on is Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. The other miracle, and it's, it's a great miracle, and frankly, uh, some of the other gospels cover it better, but Jesus walking on water to get to the disciples, and both of these equally display how powerful Jesus is, but what I hope you see in this story today, that miracles are great, amen? Miracles are amazing, but we need to follow Jesus at his word, not just his works. And so let's read John chapter 6, excuse me, Verses 1 through 15. John 6, 1 through 15. It's a lot of scripture here, but I wanted to read the story in total. Let's begin. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his, his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Then the people saw him do this miraculous sign. They exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And God, your son, he is, he is so mysterious at times. And Lord, I, I pray that as we read this, God, it will be clear who he is in our life, what he can do. And that, God, we can trust him and believe in him, truly believe in Jesus' name. Amen. We have times in our lives where needs arise all the time. And I, I think about Mary and her situation with her dad right here in service, where needs arise all the time and it reveals our inadequacy. 
We can't possibly provide that need, can we? But we know that we can approach a God who can. But the, the, these needs that we have reveal our inadequacies. And there are times where, take this instance this morning, where the need is seen as too great that we don't know what to do with it. And so maybe you and I, we reason what we can do with it. Well, obviously, go to the hospital, or in our case, go to a financial lender, or we can name all these sources where we can approach to try and meet that need. Now here you have Jesus, and Jesus is going around ministering to people, and, and I, I can only imagine what it was like where to see Jesus heal that lame man by the pool at Bethsaida, and all of a sudden, he's arising and walking. People have known him for 39 years of his life, and all of a sudden, he is picking up his mat, and he is walking on his way. As a result, as you can imagine, word starts spreading and everyone is talking about the miracle that occurred and what they saw. So now thousands of people are following him. And for them at the time, it might not have been a matter of who Jesus was and, and th this, th this thing that occurred. They, 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 just, they just know what they saw and they know that they have a need in their life and maybe, just maybe, Jesus can fix it. So you have all these people following him now. But there's a small group that Jesus appointed. He appointed 12 disciples and there were many others who followed him on a regular day-to-day -day basis who were also called his disciples. And very, very suddenly, it went from Jesus' ministry just beginning and a few small group of people following him to all of a sudden tons of people are following him. And they're trying to track him down. Now this small group, they were there to be his help. They were there to be his team. But when you see a group like this walking toward you, it has to be overwhelming. And so they're, they're just wanting this peaceful moment. Remember, we just talked about Jesus was just on trial with the Jewish leaders, and now Jesus is out ministering again, and Jesus is wanting to have time with his disciples. So it said he went across the Sea of Tiberias, and he was sitting on the hillside, and now all of a sudden they look up, and they see this massive crowd coming towards them. In your mind, you're like, we got to do something. I don't know what, but we have to do something. And so Jesus, all of a sudden, he turns to one of his disciples, and he poses an interesting question. But the, the, the other thing that we can glean from this scripture this morning is immediately John says, it's a test. Jesus is reaching out to test Philip. So he turns to Philip, and he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, I just want to say, as Jesus was just arguing with the rabbis, the rabbis expected that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would feed people the same way Moses fed people in the desert. And we know it wasn't Moses, right? We know that was God raining down manna from heaven, and, and it was just a miracle that occurred because of, the, of Moses' belief. But the rabbis were sure that the, that, that the Messiah would work the exact same same way. Now, 
Jesus was about to do the same thing. But something interesting we learn here, instead of Jesus just doing it, right? Jesus turns and asks one of his disciples, where can we buy bread? Now for us, you and I, as we sit and we read this and we, we, we try and glean something from it, it, it should be a teachable moment even for the disciples, and I think it was, but, but the response that we have is the test that God is testing us in. How are you and I going to respond when he asks us a question? I think about Moses. And Moses at the time when God was speaking was holding his staff. And if you remember, that staff was used to do many miraculous things. But God spoke to him, what is that in your hand? For Moses, it's easy. Well, it's my staff. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. And so Jesus is looking for what Philip's response is and if it's appropriate and if he has learned anything by following out after Jesus. Because what Philip is dealing with is he's like, I have this present reality in front of me that we have so many people that just, just sheer number of looking on the crowd, you can't count it. They, they, they say, well, it was about 5,000 men. So if it was about 5,000 men, and that wasn't including women and children, we're looking at least, at the very least, between ten and 12,000 people. And so Philip is looking at the crowd, and he's trying to, he's trying to, I can only imagine he's trying to calculate numbers in his head. And maybe he goes to Matthew, and he's like, hey, you're the numbers guy. Let's figure this out together. How much bread would it take to feed all these people? And so immediately, his knee-jerk reaction is just seeing the reality is like, it would take us well over a month's wages to feed these people just bread. And immediately he reveals he fails the test. And church, I am telling you that when needs arise, that is your opportunity to reveal where you place your trust. That is your opportunity. And it is, it is so easy to have these initial knee-jerk reactions to what we really trust in. So Philip, in essence, he is many of us because when expenses come your way and you don't know what to do or when you lose your job and you might be asking what's the first step, you have all these other avenues you turn to or you start trying to rationalize it as we do as human beings. I think back to King Hezekiah, and I know I've shared this before, and it's because I absolutely love this story. In, in the book of 2 Kings, Hezekiah is leading Judah and in leading them, he knows, he knows they're not a big kingdom, but God has taken care of them. God has protected them. And all of a sudden, there's this messenger that comes that delivers this letter from their arch enemies, the Assyrians. And he opens this letter and he reads it. And the Assyrians outnumber the Judeans greatly. And he's reading through this letter. And it basically says, summarizing it, pastor's version, we're coming to kill all of you and take your land. Hezekiah looking at his present reality. We're, we're outnumbered. Like we're doomed. No question we're doomed. Hezekiah, Hezekiah takes that letter. He doesn't run to his counsel. He doesn't run to his dad 
Well, his dad's dead, but that's a long story. (laughs) He doesn't sit there and lament. He runs to the temple. And he runs down to the altar and he lays the letter on the altar and he says, God, I don't know what to do with this, but you do. And church, I am telling you, the best lesson we can learn is the response that Hezekiah had when when these needs arise that reveals our inadequacies where we say, God, we can't do this, but I serve a God who can. So I'm telling you, whatever the need is, give it to him. Give it to him because he can take care. And So as Jesus is going down the line and he's disappointed with Philip's response, he then turns to Andrew, and I'm telling you, Andrew's response wasn't that much better. Because he's like, well, out of all these people here, I mean, we've got this boy with two fish and five loaves of bread, but what good is that for this huge crowd? And so you can see that also Andrew is dealing with this physical reality. And guys, I am telling you that we serve a God where we need to stop applying worldly principles to a God that is not bound by natural law. We need to stop doing that because Jesus, he, he's, he's, think about the man who Jesus is and the God who Jesus is and the things that he has done. Jesus, as he's traveling, he, he crosses this man that has a son that's demon-possessed. The father runs up and he says, help us if you can. And I, I love Jesus' response when this man says, help us if you can. In Mark 9, 23, he says, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, is anything, or anything is possible if a person believes? And church, I am telling you what we can learn from this. The limit is not in Christ. The limit is in our belief. Listen to these two scriptures. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God, the the two that Helen was speaking to at the end of service, listen to this. Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Church, I'm realistic. You might not be comfortable with your situation. It might be desperate. And you might not know how God is going to provide. But that's not up for for you to figure out you got to just trust that God is able. And you got to be seeking God in that. And you have to trust him through all those inadequacies that we have. Because think about it. Here, here you have this crowd, and we'll just say, for argument's sake, 10 to 12,000. Probably more. But 10 to 12,000 people. And we have one boy, two fish, and five loaves. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems pretty unrealistic for even a crowd this size. And guys, I'm telling you, this five loaves, it was not impressive. In fact, scholars believe that these were pickled fish and these barley loaves, this was dried bread. It was, it was, like, it was like a cracker. So basically, it would be like you and I having a pack of sardines on us and some saltines and just saying, we'll call it good. 
And it's easy for us to look at what we have and say it's not enough. It's not enough. You know, we, we can work, with what, work within what we possess or we can work within the talents that we know we have or we know that we have these resources available, but there are so many times where we look more at what we don't have than what we do have. Are you guys hearing me? In fact, I think that if you could take inventory in your mind right now, you can think of more of what you don't have than what you do. And it truly shows where our thankfulness is. I do it all the time. It's like, boy, if, if I just have this, this, and this, this will be complete in my life. You guys know what I'm talking about? As a young pastor, I'm going to tell you my greatest shortcoming. I was looking at other ministries, and I was wishing I had what they had. I'd meet people that were in other churches and I'd see their, see their talents and giftings and I'm like, oh man, if I just had two of those in my church. Or, you know, uh, Doyle has helped Pastor Morris far more than I have down in Oskaloosa, but right by the church that Pastor Morris has been working at is a huge Nazarene church. And I remember as I'm driving into Oskaloosa and I look over to the right, I see this huge, what looks like a McDonald's play place inside this church. And I'm thinking, how do you compete with that? And the reality is we say, well, we don't compete. We don't compete. They're going to meet certain people's needs and this church is going to meet other people's needs. But it is so easy that when you are in that position, that setting, that you sit there and you use all this human reasoning and you look at your inadequacies. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, they had an offering box at the back of the temple. And I know that that doesn't seem very traditional to you. But biblically, that's how they did it. They had a box just at the back, and you put your offerings in at the back. And as people are walking in, there is a group of guys that feel it is their job to watch what's put in the offering box. Sounds like a great job, doesn't it? And you know, the rich are coming along, and they're, they're putting in their, their big coins and, and flexing their muscle and showing how rich they truly are. And here comes this widow who, by her own right, has nothing, has absolutely nothing. She's just got these two small copper coins. We'll just say, for argument's sake, it's equivalent to a penny. And it was easy for everyone around her to turn their noses up and be like, that's no gift. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 21, 3 and 4. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Church, I am telling you, don't limit God by what you don't have. Don't limit God by what you don't have. She understood everything she had was because of God. And I, 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 hate, I, I hate to borrow the old saying because many of us can't relate to it, but it is true what the Bible says, that Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so what that means is that all the vast resources that are here on this earth, they're his. They're not, they're not ours. They're his. 
And so anything that we don't have, he's going to take care of. And that doesn't mean that I need to sit here and go, man, well, God, I don't have this, 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 and this, and it is up to you to supply all my need. That's not what it's about at all. But it's about looking to a God and saying, God, I'm going to use what I have. Even if it's just two small coins, I'm going to give you everything. Back to our story. This little boy just lost his lunch to a huge crowd. And as I said, it wasn't much. But he knew what he had was enough for him to eat. And it wasn't so much that it was taken from him. But he chose to give it to them. Okay? So yet we see another active participant in this miracle that Jesus is 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 bringing to life here and church i am telling you that our trust must go beyond our words and what we express to others but it needs to be reciprocated in action so if jesus says hey i want you to give this up for me then you are making a choice right at that moment you are giving it up it's not saying well god i need to wait till every star aligns until i can do this thing see you and i many of us do that But Jesus gave Philip an opportunity. Jesus gave Andrew an opportunity. The little boy gave all he had. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, get get all these people to sit down. Could you imagine the work that would take? Get all these people to sit down. And then he took the loaves, gave thanks to God for it, and started to distribute it to the people through his disciples. Now Moses had first supplied Israel with heavenly bread, and you guys remember that, that here Moses takes, takes the Hebrew people out of Egypt. They're taken out of slavery. They're now in the wilderness, and there Moses is trying to corral this huge crowd, figuring out what he's going to do with them, and they're so angry at Moses because of their situation. They said, we'd rather go back into slavery. And all of a sudden, God has bread falling down from heaven, And that was their supply. Now Jesus Christ is displaying, I am your supplier. I am your supplier now. And this feast that they had, it wasn't, it wasn't lavish. It wasn't similar to the Thanksgiving feast that you, you just had. or It wasn't a good home-cooked meal. Let's be real. It was fish and, and crackers. But they had enough that everyone ate as much as they wanted. And church, I'm going to say this again. Don't wait until you feel like you have enough to give or offer. Do it immediately. When God wants to use you in this moment, don't put stipulations on it. And you and I do. We put stipulations on it. People put stipulations on things all the time. All step out and make that career change when this and this and this are in order. 
we can get married when we have enough money. You couples who have been married a long time, how's that working? Yeah. Or, I will follow the Holy Spirit's prompting when the stars align and the moment is perfect and Jesus has banged that hammer over my head. The prompt from God is exactly when we need to act. And Jesus Christ's prompt was, where are we going to get bread for these people? If your answer is, I don't know, or we are neglecting what he has already told us and who we know he is, then are we really being obedient to God, the Father, Jesus the Son, are we being obedient to who he is as stated in his word? I say no. I say we're not following out. We're not living out these actions. Listen to 1 John 5.3. 1 John 5.3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now let me say that last part again so it's very clear to you. Keeping his commandments are not what? burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're not cumbersome. They're those easy things that should, should, should create a longing in us to do it again and again and again. And I'm telling you by the world standard that if you read the word of God, they may appear burdensome because you're saying that I gotta, I gotta give up this. You're saying that I gotta start following this plan. But when we do, we realize there is life and life abundantly. See, because God is going to lead, guide, and direct you when you are following in obedience. Do you guys remember when Jesus ran into the lame man again, and the lame man is pointing to the Jewish leaders? He's like, there's the guy. There's the guy that healed me. Get him in trouble. Don't get me in trouble. You remember what Jesus said to the lame man? Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. That was Jesus' chance to call out this man and say, you need to start walking in obedience. Because church, I am telling you that when we aren't obedient, when we allow the miracle to occur and then we don't walk in obedience, then some people sit there and ask, why do bad things keep happening to me? And I want to take my Bible and I just want to start beating it over their head. And I know that that sounds awful. And I know many of you say, I'm not comfortable with that, Pastor. We don't live in that kind of world. But I am telling you that this is why bad things keep happening to us. is because we can't follow out in obedience. Not many amens there. But church, the lesson here is that when we obey and trust... He is not going to just give you enough. He's going to give you more than enough. He's going to give you well above what you need. And, and when we start truly being obedient and following him at his word, not just the work, then we're going to see it's overflowing abundance in who Jesus is. Going back from, from Moses to Jesus. You know, the situation when God started raining manna from heaven, it was bleak. 
they had all turned on Moses. They didn't want to be there anymore. They were ready to kill him or abandon him. And all of a sudden, God provides this miracle, supplying all their needs. And now we read about Jesus, Jesus reenacting this miracle. But there is a stark difference from, from the Hebrew people to now what's occurring with Jesus. See, at the time, when manna rained from heaven, God was very specific. Take exactly what you need and no more. God told the Hebrew people that. Take exactly what you need and no more. And there, was, there were people that tried to store it up for themselves. And what they'd find out that it went bad the next day because they weren't relying on God for the daily provision, right? But with Jesus, it's different. With Jesus, it specifically says they ate their fill. They stuffed themselves and they had 12 baskets left over, and he said, let's save the leftovers. Church, the Old Testament ways were not sufficient. It offered them for that day's need, and that's it. But Jesus Christ displayed, I am more than enough. I am more than enough for you. It wasn't just a miracle to say that no one else, no one on earth will ever starve again. But this was a miracle to display that he is more than enough. He is more than enough for what you need in your life. And I'm telling you, each inside every one of us, there's this longing desire for more, right? Let's be real here for a minute. And especially that if we're more in touch with our physical self than our spiritual self, there is this longing desire for more stuff. And what we're going to find is the more you long for it and the more you receive some of those things, that they don't satisfy and then you just keep craving more and more and more and more. And so the way I see it, for many believers even today, you're still in the wilderness you're still in the wilderness. You haven't quite discovered that Jesus is everything that you need because you're looking to all these other sources as a means to satisfy the needs in your life and they're only offering this temporary satisfaction and Jesus Christ is sitting here just saying, if, if you just trust in me, if you just start being obedient in my word and you start living out and following me, then I would begin to supply. And church, this is where I believe we're falling short. Because some get obedience well, and I'll be honest, a lot of people don't. But where we're truly falling short is in our response to his question. Will you be my disciples? Will you follow me daily? Will you walk in obedience to me? Calling back to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And so we're torn between the world and who we understand God is. And you and I, we're not relying on God like we should. We're thankful for the miracles, but some of us, we only chase the miracle. And we learn from the lame man what happens if you only chase the miracle. If you keep on sinning, something worse may happen. But you and I, 
can use the miracles in our life, the faith-building moments in our life to say, okay, it is time from here on out to change my course, to change direction. I'm telling you, some of you might say, yeah, pastor, you're not old. Every time I say I'm old, I get corrected on that. But I've been in church 41 years of my life. So I've been surrounded by the church for a long time. And I have learned that even after 41 years, there's still so much to learn. There's still so much to learn. And I'm never going to reach this happy plane with God. But he is going to be constantly working on and retuning the sharp edges in my life so that I am becoming exactly who he needs me to be. And I am telling you, church, the time is now to start being obedient to his word because I guarantee that if you look over the course of your life, his miracles have been there. His miracles have been there. And church, I want to see the miraculous. And the reason I want to see the miraculous in this church is not for my own self-edification. I don't want to see it so that we can say, hey, look what happened here. I want, to, I want to see it so that others who don't know who God is sees the miracle and says, that's what I need to follow. That's the point of the miracle. And so you're in the wilderness like the Hebrew people with Moses. And so now what? I heard a story told to me by a missionary. There was a woman they were ministering to in India, and if you don't know, India is less than 1% of the population is Christian in most places. Overall, overall they say roughly if you took the whole country, it's about 1.2% somewhere in there. But the larger cities, it's almost non-existent. And so most places, it's somewhere right under one. And this woman, she was poor. She was in this little house church, and she was told to just start believing. She had her husband who died recently, had a family to feed, had no money, no supply. And the house church that she was in, they didn't have those kind of resources to take care of her family. They could give her a little bit of what they could. And so she's crying out to God, and she's, she, she's wanting to believe because of this faith, she can't associate with other people anymore the way that she used to. And because of this faith, she is being challenged to trust and believe that this God is a miracle-working God, and that if you follow him and that if you believe in him, he can do great things in your life. So she begins to pray. And she says, God, you know my situation. You know all my needs. Now please answer. That night she had a dream. And an angel appeared before her in her bed that said, tomorrow I want you to go to this supermarket. And I want you to check out at aisle 14 at 9.20 a.m. So she wakes up and questions the reality of the dream or if, if she should give any credence to it and then, then she, she just feels compelled in her spirit to go. And I don't know if you're aware, with India's population, their supermarkets are the equivalent of super Walmart, right? 
And so it's absolutely huge. And, and she goes in there and she decides, well, if I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to fill up what I can take with me. And so she has a cart here and a cart here. And she's filled up both carts, and it, it, it's, it's about time, and she's looking at her carts, and they're full. And so she goes and stands right up front, and she eyeballs aisle 14's right there. But she sees the time. It's not quite 920. And you guys know what it's like when Walmart's not busy, and there's a cashier on that open register that's like, come over here. And she's like, I checking out here on aisle 14. And right about as it was time, someone with a big load of groceries steps right in front of her in that aisle and starts checking out. It hits 920, and so she also gets in the line. But she's seeing them checking out, and she's like, oh, no. Maybe I missed my opportunity. Maybe I was just hearing things. And then so that person checks out and they start, they start scanning her groceries and I'm sure just, ju just like her, you guys, when you're at the grocery store, you're seeing the numbers start to add up on the screen. And you're like, hopefully these numbers stop soon. Not right now, guys. But uh, the total rings up. The cashier hits the total button, and then all of a sudden, these bells start going off. The cashier looks at the screen, calls the manager over, and the manager says, you are our one millionth customer since we opened this store, and your groceries are on us today. And as you can imagine, She's crying. She's hit with this reality. God just provided. But church, let me tell you where it started. It started by her waking up that morning and saying, I'm going to trust what I heard. I'm going to trust what I heard. And so for you and I, what we got to do. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, but pastor, you don't, you don't understand my situation. I haven't heard from the Lord like that. And I get what you're saying. And some of you are like, I'm in a desperate situation here and I need answers in my life. And church, I am telling you, the answer that you're looking for is contained in the word of God in scripture. And it starts by acting out in obedience there. And then I promise you that when you open up the, the, to, to a prayer life where you are seeking God and, and, and crying out to him and you are looking for him to answer and respond, that he is going to answer and he is going to lead, guide, and direct your life. But I am telling you, church, it isn't going to start galvanizing in your life until you start responding. It's about the response. And so you're in the wilderness, wondering where your food's going to come from, wondering where the supply is going to be. And Jesus Christ is saying, where is it going to come from?
our answer needs to be, it's you. It's you. If I could have the musicians come up. I just want you to close your eyes. I just want you to meditate on the Lord for a moment. And ask yourself, do I trust in God? Have I looked to Him for provision? Have, have I walked in obedience? Because I know God is a God of miracles. I know it. But many of us can't keep returning back down to that well, seeking a miracle, and then just going back on with our life. It doesn't work like that. And so what I believe God is doing here this morning is I could have our prayer altar team come forward. What I believe God is doing this morning is God is opening up the door for us to say, you know what, those parts of my life that I want to pretend don't exist right now, I have to acknowledge exists. I have to be open about my sin. I have to be open about my doubt. Come on, church, you hearing me? I have to be real about those things. See, I, I, I read the Bible and I read prayers that David prayed and some of you would actually, if you heard David pray those in public, you'd be looking at him going, I can't believe he just said that in public. I can't believe he said that out loud. And they were, they were audacious prayers and they were those, those kind that make you uncomfortable where you'd look at him and be like, wow, that guy's a sinner. Stay away from him. But you know what David was doing? David was being real with God. And many of you in here, you don't want to be that real with God because you don't want the person next to you knowing. But here's the God's honest truth. Those are the kind of prayers that he longs for. Because he at least knows who you are and you're willing to be honest with who you are. And I'm going to tell you, church, I've fallen short so many times. And the shame from the decisions I've made, the things that I've done. But if I am not honest and openly confess that with God, how can he use me? These miracles do reveal who he is. But at some point we need to follow him. We need to make choices. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And they're going to sing that, that song that they're playing through right now. Lord, I need you. And if you need to make a declaration, a confession before God, and if you say, I need prayer, I need, I need reinforcements in my life, I need people to come beside me and strengthen and encourage me, I'm going to invite you to come here in a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you for each and every one that's here. And Lord, you are a God that, that you do great miracles. But you are a God that is so much more than the miracle. And Lord, in this room, we have people. They've seen miracles in their life. And God, they might still have difficulty trusting and following you. And God, I pray that today be the day that that ends that we can look to you with a longing expectation. We can look to you with a hope and a trust, God, that you will supply all our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So God, we offer ourselves up to you. 
we give you all that we have, all that we are. 